we conclude our time in Romans 8 this morning, and because I, I typically use the lectionary, I should tell you it'll be three years before you get to hear this text read again. I've already told you that I love this chapter of the Bible. Love it, love it, love it. I'd encourage you to give some thought to bookmarking it in your own Bible and read it a few more times, the whole chapter. It is a litany of promises for us that are greater than we could ever hope for. So I just want to encourage you to do that. The more you can have this chapter of God's Word become part of your vocabulary, the easier it will be for you to live in this world. Been my experience anyway. So we're going to start a little bit with the passage you heard last week. But this, dear ones, is a reading from Romans 8, beginning with verse 24. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who were called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? As God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wasn't that just a reading from the gospel according to Matthew? Beginning the 13th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. And continuing with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If I could remind you for a moment that in chapter 8, verse 24, Paul said this, For in hope we are saved. And then in verse 26, he said, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Have you ever heard somebody say, God helps those who help themselves? They are wrong. The desire to help ourselves is nothing but pride that turns its back on God. Remember we sang a hymn a few weeks ago that said the only thing that qualifies us for the kingdom is our need of Christ. Remember that? Nothing else. The Spirit, Paul says, helps us in our weakness. Weakness is not a popular word in our culture. Everybody is supposed to be super strong. Get buffed up at the gym, put on an affliction t-shirt and walk around and look intimidating. There are all sorts of ways that we try to cover our weakness. 
Some people find a salve for weakness in their bank account. Some people find it in bad relationships. Some people find it. in using others for their own gain. But if there's surely one thing that all of us human beings are working toward, it's to cover our weakness. I mean, listen, I'm sure they work, but that's why they're selling you all those little bottles of fruits and vegetables on your news channels. In this case, Paul is talking about a weakness where we don't know how to pray as we ought. James Dunn suggests that what Paul is talking about is that we don't even know what we should want when we pray sometimes. That we feel so weak and unable to rise to whatever occasion is before us that we don't even know what to bring to God and ask God to do, much less what outcome would be suitable. Mark Twain wrote a whole book about that, about the warrior prayer. And in that, he wrote the premise that if I pray for my country to be victorious in war, I'm praying for the sons of other women in other countries to be killed. How do we know what we ought to ask? In times of severe weakness, certainly it can be the case that we don't know what outcome would be best for us. Because most of the time, we don't even understand what is in front of us. It makes no sense. It confounds our sense of being. It confounds us into a place where we think that surely all I can do is curl up in a ball and cry. You ever been there? It's one of life's favorite places to kick us into. But Paul is asserting that not knowing what to pray for or how to pray for it, is its own kind of weakness. And it may not seem like a big deal, but I have found that very often prayer is how I am able to help myself to fix my mind on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, which Paul says is life and peace in the midst of a world of sin and death. So it would seem that not knowing how to pray about something in the midst of something that seems life-threatening or person-threatening or identity-threatening is a very real weakness, does it not? In our weakness, Paul says, the Spirit helps us. And prayer focuses on the purposes of God, on the goodness of God, on the merciful love of God. It turns our eyes to one who is for us. In the speaking of the words, Abba, Father, as we pray, the Holy Spirit reminds our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God, the Almighty Creator to whom we speak, the one who breathed us into existence in the first place. But when we are weak, Paul says, it is not we who are able to pray, but the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us who steps into the midst of our struggle and seemingly prays for us with sighs and groans that are too deep for words. When we are weakest, when we are so beaten down by life that our burdens 
that we feel for others or whatever weakness we have a sense of, that we feel like we're just out of luck, we might as well give up, just tell them good luck with that, there's nothing can be done, maybe something will turn out okay, we don't know how to approach God about it, how to pray about it, or even worse, in our spirit, we're made to feel guilty about it because we believe that somehow God has turned his back on us because of a circumstance that we might have brought in our life. But no, Paul says, it's in that way weakness in that uncertainty in that time of doubt that the Holy Spirit is praying for you or maybe better said praying on your behalf speaking the words for you that you cannot form And he's not just talking about when you're laying down to go to bed or in the morning when you're rising. He's talking about when your heart is so beat down by life that all you can do is groan and sigh that that is the Spirit praying for you. And in that moment, you are not abandoned. In those moments when you hurt so bad that all you can do is say, Oh, that is God's Spirit speaking words of prayer and life on your behalf. It is not just our sense of being overwhelmed. When we are stunned by our own lack of ability or proficiency for dealing with whatever life has put in our lap, Paul tells us we are not without hope. You might ask, how do you know that, preacher? Because I've been there. And I would bet you there are people around this room who have had those same dark nights of the soul when they will tell you that God was on the pillow next to them. And that the words they prayed were not their own. And the help they received was not from their own strength. You might say, how do you know the Spirit is praying for us? Because those groans and sighs that come out of your misery are a product of the hope that you were saved in. The hope that all things can be made new and that the destruction of sin and death can be undone. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. You may remember that famous line where Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. And it's because he knows that it's when his weakest that he most cries out for the grace of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, Paul is not referencing, he's not referencing that triumph spirit of the human being that modern human secularism tells us will propel us all toward greatness and unity. We should have figured out that was a lie after World War II, but apparently we've just embraced it again, thinking that somehow we're all going to march hand in hand into some bright future singing Kumbaya apart from God, because we don't need God to come by here, we got us. 
Paul isn't speaking about that kind of spirit. He's speaking about the very spirit of God, the same spirit who hovered over the waters of creation, the same spirit who hovered over the waters of your baptism, the same spirit who is the true source of our potential, the third person of the Holy Trinity. It's that spirit who has made us children of God. It is that spirit who leads us in a dark and dreary world. Paul is speaking of the one who brought about our adoption as sons and daughters of God by whom we are able to cry out, Abba, Father, help me. Even if it's just when we sigh or groan because we are overwhelmed. He's speaking of the one who makes us heirs with Christ, who enables us to bear the suffering that we experience in the name of Jesus because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit who yields in us the first fruits of love, joy, and peace, which are the marks of Christ alive in you. And reminders that it is the predestined purpose of God to conform us to the likeness of His Son. Much ink has been spilt in the theological world about predestination and some people being predestination to salvation and some people being predestination not to salvation. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that every person that has been called by the Holy Spirit, every person that has been born of the Spirit is predestined to become like Jesus. Not my made-up word. It's in your book. I read it to you. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it begins in our weakness. Not our strength. Our strength gets in the way of our being conformed. So Paul speaks to us of the one who makes us brothers and sisters of Christ, brothers and sisters with each other. For in hope, he says, you have been saved, not so that you can stay like you are, but so that you can be transformed and be the body of Christ in the world. A sign of the light and love of God to all who are dwelling in darkness. God is at work, he says through the Holy Spirit, so that all things work for the good of those who love God. All things. For those who are called to His purpose. The purpose to be conformed to the image of Christ. And listen to this. So that we might join the firstborn son in a large family as secondborn sons and daughters. To be the family of God. And so the Spirit intercedes in our weakness. For the purpose of seeing us through in all things good, bad, and ugly. God the Holy Spirit works to conform us to the blessed life, love, and joy of Christ. So that the love of God in Christ is visible in a world fraught with brokenness and woundedness. You are being made like Christ. For others. It's not propositional. It's a promise. This is what God is doing. 
Which is why it's so heinous when something bad happens to someone that someone says, well, it's just God's plan for you. That's not what that means. What that means is that God can use even bad and evil things that happen in your life to shape you and make you like Christ. Did Christ not go through the cross to become the king of the universe? And so bad and hard things God can use to shape us and remold us and make us like Jesus. Not for our own good, but for the good of others as well. And so he says we can bear whatever comes because it will not separate us from God. Because the Spirit is at work in your weakness. In those moments when you feel broken and in despair and you feel those groans and sighs well up in you, that is the Holy Spirit working in the midst of whatever you're going through. Conforming you to the likeness of Jesus. How do I know? Because I've been there. It's happened to me. Have you not had the experience? All of this is because the Holy Spirit helps us, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Now you might say to old Paul, but Paul, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how strong my weakness is. What makes you think that the Holy Spirit can overcome my weakness, Paul? You don't know the ugliness of my midnight thoughts. And so Paul might tell us, he might tell us to to read some earlier parts of chapter 8, which is why your preacher told you to remember that text. He might tell you, turn back and, and read what I said. And then he might ask you, do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is dead? Or, do you believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead? Is he dead, church, or is he alive? Well, Paul wants to know why are you worried that he can't help you in your weakness? May I ask you a question? Is there any greater weakness for the human being than being stone cold dead? Nope. Nope. Anybody think of anything? I can't think of anything. The weakest person I've ever seen is a person laying in a gurney in a hospital dead. Can't do anything. Will our weakness right now ever be quite that great? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 10 through 11. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead, the greatest of human weaknesses, will give life to you as well. What does that say about all your precious weaknesses? 
about all those things that you think God can't help you overcome in your life? What does that say about that darkness and misery that causes you to groan and to sigh? Is it not overcomable? Is God so weak that He can't work in that? Is it possible that God can call the thoroughly dead Jesus out of the tomb and not be able to work in your problem? If we believe that God raised Jesus from death, which is that greatest and most severe of all human weaknesses, You can't be weaker than dead. If God can do that, why would we think that that same Holy Spirit is unable to help us in our weaknesses? It makes no sense. And so Paul tells us that God is for us even when we are weak. That God isn't just for us when we're strong. God isn't just for us when our righteousness is overflowing like a stream. God isn't just for us when our life is all worked out. God isn't just for us when our mind is full of happy thoughts. But God is for us even in our weaknesses. That the Spirit prays for you in your weakness. And in that great time of weakness when all of our weaknesses will be laid bare in the judgment, even the risen Lord Jesus Christ will intercede for you in that moment. There is no weakness that God is not present in or working in or active in. There is no weakness that God cannot use to transform you to be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but in my mind, that's pretty good news. That sounds like the gospel. The weakness that we experience in ourselves Or in this world of sin and death, God is able to use all of it to conform us to the image of Christ. And that includes those times, dear ones, when we lay awake at night and don't even know what to pray for. The Spirit of God is present even in that weakness, praying for us. Because God is for us. In our strength, And, dear ones, in our weakness. I speak this good news of the promise of the Holy Spirit of God to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.